But as we approach the Christmas season, uh, next week, Christmas Day, we've been trying to bring some messages that are focused more in that area. Last week, Peter brought to us uh, the name of Christ as Emmanuel, God with us. I trust that was helpful for us and instructive. I'm going to continue on that same, you know, when we think about Christmas, we'll be focusing on Christ as the Prince of Peace, and that slogan that we often hear around this time of peace on earth. We're going to find that statement here in Luke chapter 2. My goal is, as we go through this, I want us to reflect on what peace means, how it's achieved, and how Christ brings that to us. But of course, we'll begin with the familiar story. Just to set the scene here in Luke chapter 2, we have Christ's birth. They've gone to Bethlehem. He has been born in the stable, and we have the shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks. So we'll pick up the story in verse number 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Father, as we begin this, Lord, we know that your word is powerful. I pray that we would have hearts that are receptive. But I know that... uh, Lord, as we reflect on this time of year and coming of Christ, fills our hearts with joy as we think about that gift that you gave to us. And Lord, even now as we look at this idea of peace, peace on earth, Lord, we desire that more than ever. Lord, we thank you that you are our peace, that you have made peace with us. So Lord, I pray this morning as we listen to your word, God, that we would listen with attentive hearts and a desire to apply what we have learned here to our own lives, and that through it, you would work amongst your people, that you would grow us where we need to grow, you would challenge us where we need to be challenged, that you would help us and comfort us where that is needed. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, I pray that you would work in their hearts to bring the gospel to bear, and to bring them to the knowledge of you. Lord, we know that there's nothing apart from your word that carries any value here this morning um, as far as my own words. So I pray, guide my thoughts, guide my words, that they might be acceptable to you and that they might be impactful to your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the fall of 1938... The European continent stood on the brink of war. 
Less than 20 years had passed from the end of World War I, a war that had seen over 37 million casualties. It had been dubbed the Great War, and maybe optimistically, the war to end all wars. And yet, within a short span of time, less than two decades, Germany now stood poised to invade Czechoslovakia. A last-minute meeting was called in Munich to somehow maintain a peace. And after that meeting, the British Prime Minister returned and upon landing in London was met with cheers by the British public. As he stepped off the plane, some of you may have seen this video clip, he held aloft a piece of paper that fluttered in the wind that announced an agreement had been made War would be prevented. Neville Chamberlain then, later that day, read that agreement to the British public. He closed with these words. My good friends, this is the second time in our history there has come back from Germany to Downing Street peace with honor. I believe it is peace for our time. But as you know, those were very ill-fated words. Within five months, Germany had broken that peace and annexed Czechoslovakia. And within eight months of reading that statement, Neville Chamberlain was forced to resign as prime minister as Nazi tanks rolled into Poland and ushered in an even deadlier conflict than World War I. Fact is, peace has proved very elusive, though long desired, for humanity. From the very beginning, when sin was introduced into the world, conflict was the natural result. Going back to Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, it brought conflict, and God announced that judgment. It would conflict between man and woman, husband and wife, and even conflict between man and nature itself. As the world was cursed. And then shortly after Adam and Eve, there in the shadow of Eden, having been exiled, have two boys. The first two brothers. And tragically, that ended in more conflict. As Cain, out of jealousy, slew his brother Abel. And the pages of history really are filled with tale after tale of conflict, of war, and violence. Those of you who study history know it's probably easiest to be studied by looking at those conflicts, by reviewing the empires rising and crushing others and then falling only to be replaced by another empire that rises in conflict and crushes the previous. And yet amongst all that, there is a longing for peace. Maybe not as much today as in the past, but probably more at this time of year than any other. Those sentimental among us might desire peace on earth. And if you were to ask the average citizen, one wish they could see fulfilled this time of year, songs are replete with world peace. Peace on earth. 
We have whole organizations dedicated to this purpose. The League of Nations, formed after World War I, designed to prevent another major conflict, failed miserably. After World War II, the United Nations was formed so that these nations who had brought such devastation with their conflict could settle their differences diplomatically. And yet, as we all know, the 20th century is perhaps the bloodiest century in all of human history. And the 21st century has not exactly been peaceful either. This is the world we see around us. This is the reality we live. And again, there's many different solutions that are offered by this world. Whole systems and political agendas are built around achieving this goal. Songs speak much of this. Again, especially time this, this time of year. Perhaps one of the biggest Protest songs, John Lennon's Imagine, proposes a unique solution. Imagine, he says, there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us and above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion, too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. For Lenin and many who would adopt that philosophy, the solution lies externally. If we could but remove the divisions amongst humanity, get rid of the nations, get rid of the religions, get rid of uh, those those things externally that divide us, then utopia would be ushered in and peace could be achieved. And yet, again, the reality does not reflect that hope. Romans 3 gives us a much different picture of humanity and begins to point us to the real problem of conflict on earth. Not those external sources of division, but conflict arises and begins internally. In our hearts. Romans 3 tells us, as is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. And as we look at that summary, we see all of these things are arising not from external pressures, but from internal sin as folks seek to deceive and to shed blood and to create ruin and misery around them. And here we find a disconnect, don't we? There is this cry for peace, yet everywhere we turn, there is war and conflict. 
And if it's not a national war, it's probably a political war, maybe a class war, maybe a race war, maybe a gender war. But all around us, it seems there is war. When Luke announces peace on earth in Luke chapter 2, Christ is arriving on a scene when those he is coming to and those to whom Luke is writing this are currently living as oppressed by a militaristic and despotic Roman government and to a humanity that is an open rebellion to their creator. This is the status of Luke's writing in 2 when Christ comes, and it is very much still the condition today. And yet, peace on earth is proclaimed. So the question is, what is this peace that Christ brings? How is this peace achieved? If we go back into the Old Testament, Isaiah 9, we read it this morning to start our service. There was a promise that one would come who would bring peace. For us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. There is foreshadowings of one coming who will bring us peace. But the peace that he brings is not the peace that those in Luke chapter 2 were experiencing, there was a relative calm during Roman rule. The Pax Romana had pretty much quelled a lot of the uprisings from all those different countries around as they crushed every other nation that they invaded. So there was calm, but not what we would define as peace. Because the Jews were not peaceful with the Romans. They were not friendly with the Romans. There was at best a resentment and a bitterness that was suppressed because they didn't yet have the strength to overthrow them. That is not the peace that Christ brings. That is a truce that is maintained out of weakness, but that is not peace. But Isaiah told us there would come one who is born who would be the prince of peace. And in his kingdom, it would reign in righteousness and justice forever. Micah 2 narrowed it down a little bit more by identifying that this great prince of peace would be coming from Bethlehem, Ephrata. And from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And it summarizes it that he shall stand and shepherd the flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. 
For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This coming Prince of Peace would not only bring peace and rule and reign in peace, but he himself would be their peace. We begin to see more of the nature of this Prince of Peace. And then again, in Luke chapter 1, when Zechariah is prophesying over John the Baptist, and he says that you, John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High, who will be before the Lord to prepare his ways. He then summarizes that when Messiah comes, he would guide their feet in the way of peace. And so this was the anticipation of the Jews that one would come and would bring peace. But why do we need peace? And what is the peace that we need? Romans 8, as we already saw in Romans 3, the condition of mankind, that no one is good, not even one. Romans 8 then reveals even further that there is a conflict, not just amongst ourselves, but there is a greater conflict with God himself. As rebellious man has turned aside from his maker. It tells us the mind that is set on the flesh is neutral to God, indifferent to God. No, it is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And we begin to get closer to the problem of conflict. It is not simply man against man. It is man against God. And we are not neutral bystanders, but we are active participants in rebellion in our sinful state, in our fleshly nature. We are rebels to a holy God. And we stand in opposition to him. And what a position for us to be in, because not only do we not submit to God, but we are so lost, we cannot. Even in our sinful state, we cannot turn to God because we are so broken. And so what are we to do? What is our hope? How can we have peace with God? The secret not, does not lie in us laying down our arms, but rather in him laying down his life for us. God acted on our behalf. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. This is an action on God's part as he reaches out to a rebellious man and offers peace. Not a truce only, but deep and abiding peace with him through his son. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how peace is achieved. 
And so the peace that Jesus brings is first and foremost, not simply peace on earth, a truce, a, a setting aside of, of some differences. It is a deep and abiding peace, first and foremost, with God. For if we cannot fix the internal, the external is pointless. And so he comes to bring true peace with God through his life. Colossians 1.19 put it this way, In him, that is Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself, God the Father, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Through Christ's birth, death, and resurrection, peace with God can be made. Relationship can be restored. Our hostility can be put down, and instead a new heart, a heart of flesh that is sensitive and loving towards God, is placed in us. And where we once hated, we love the King of glory. And this is a work of God that begins in our hearts and brings lasting, true peace on earth. But God did not stop simply with a truce, simply with a removal of his wrath. God abundantly, graciously blessed us with his peace here on earth. Peace internally. Is that not what we hear time and time again? I'm seeking inner peace. I need, you know, to, to find peace and quiet in my life. And some people will go to great lengths to find that peace and quiet and yet never achieve it. Jesus brings peace with God, but he also brings peace on earth. Peace amongst his redeemed, peace amongst his people, and he brings peace internally. We've all experienced this. I'm sure I'm not alone in this feeling. But as we reflect on our life before Christ, the wretchedness of our sinful condition, the hopelessness that we felt as we wallowed in sin and we chased after that which could not satisfy, Go back in your mind just a little and remember your life when you pursued sin and thought it would bring you pleasure yet only brought you pain and disappointment and shame. And then reflect on what God has done for you in Christ when he has set you free from the burden and the guilt of your sin. And he has brought peace Internally, because we are now reconciled to our Heavenly Father. I can't help but think of the story, and there's many we could think of, I'm sure, in the New Testament. Some other might come to mind, but Luke 7 tells the tale of the woman who is full of sins, and, and she comes and she washes uh, Jesus' hair, and uh, he pronounces forgiveness, and 
you know, there's that confusion amongst the Pharisees. How can this person forgive sins? And Jesus talks about how who is those who are forgiven much, love much. Those who are forgiven little, love little. And he says to this woman, who is identified as a sinner, your sins are forgiven. And while the Pharisees are debating, how can you forgive sins? Jesus adds this wonderful addendum. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Do not carry any longer the guilt or the shame of your sins, but instead, praise God. In the joy of knowing that you are eternally loved and accepted by the Father in Christ. Christian, this morning, would you reflect on that? Your time before, the blessing and the joy of what you know now, having come to Christ. Jesus brings peace on earth internally for his children. As sin is dealt with, and our fear and shame are removed, and we can enjoy the full blessing and full love and relationship with our Heavenly Father. So just as Christ told that woman to go in peace, I second that thought for you this morning. If you are burdened by the weight of your sin, as a believer, we know that we still sin, but the promise is we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and you can go in peace from here this morning, knowing that your relationship can be right with your heavenly Father, and you do not need to carry that any further. Beyond peace internally, he gives us peace with our neighbors, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. As we look at the early church, it was fraught with division and conflict, even in the church as Jews who came to Christ and Gentiles who came to Christ couldn't figure out how do we make this work because we're different. And so we see a lot of the epistles in the New Testament dealing with division and dealing with reconciliation and how to bring the Gentiles and Jews together and to get rid of those. And what ultimately is the conclusion that it's Christ and Christ alone and his shed blood and our unity in him that can break down those walls of division. So that what we see in the world out there, the culture wars, the race wars, the political wars do not need to exist in here. Ephesians 2 tells us that he himself is our peace and he has made us both one, broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, you who are near, 
For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. This is our standing as believers this morning. What the world seeks to divide, we dismiss. We can have peace with one another regardless of our social status, regardless of our financial wealth, regardless of our education or our background, because God has broken down those divisions. And woe to a church where divisions continue. Because if God has made peace, so too should we. We are his Example here on earth. We are to display God's love by our love for one another. And so it is devastating when the church is guilty of division and war amongst itself. This is the place that an unbeliever ought to come in and see the love of God at work. As those things he sees in the culture separate we instead unite. This is the peace that Jesus brings. It is not superficial. It is not simply saying, hey, we'll ignore the differences. It is understanding the differences, but understanding there is a greater unity that supersedes those differences. Jesus brings peace internally. Jesus brings peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ And Jesus brings peace in the midst of turmoil and trial. Those of you who experienced a life of tribulation, who have felt the depths of of problems and maybe even persecution, know this. How can we have peace in the midst of tribulation? And yet, time and time again, history, Christian history is filled with those who displayed displayed love, kindness, and grace, and mercy, even in the face of violent opposition. Because Jesus doesn't bring a superficial peace. Jesus brings a peace in the midst of the storm. When the disciples are out on the boat, and the storm is raging, and they fear for their lives, what is it that Jesus speaks to the storm? Peace. Be still. And the waves are calmed. And the disciples are comforted. This is why even in John 14, the night before he's about to be betrayed and crucified, Jesus is reassuring his disciples who he knows are actually going to desert him in his hour of need. And he comforts them by pronouncing, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Jesus is able to comfort his disciples because he knows they are going to be tried. They are going to be tested. Their faith is going to be shaken. And yet, through all of that, and demonstrated through the remaining pages of Scripture and throughout church history, is the fact that Christ's peace abides on his people. And he gives a peace that passes all understanding. 
The world cannot explain how in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your tribulation, you can still praise God. And the answer is he has given us his peace. Not like the world gives. The moment tragedy strikes, their world is broken. But for the believer, it need not be. He gives peace in the midst of trials to hold us up. Therefore, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Fear should not have a dominance in the life of the Christian. Do not fear what man may do to us. So we can be calm in chaos, kind in the face of aggression, and loving in the midst of hate, because we know ultimately God's sovereign hand is working his will for our good based on the promises of Scripture. We are not alone, and we cannot be abandoned. This is our standing in Christ. This is our confidence. This is the peace on earth that Jesus brings to his people. But as Jesus made peace with God on our behalf, and Jesus gives peace on earth internally with our brothers and sisters and through trial, understand that we now have a ministry and a mission to carry on that peace and to be peacemakers in this world today. It's a paradox, isn't it? Those of you who've come to Christ, who see all the blessings of this peace, you still experience conflict. In fact, the conflict you often experience is due directly to your faith in Christ. But this is not a shock to us. Christ told us this. He told us that he would bring division because those in our households who are at war with God, who are still in rebellion, are not going to see our coming to Christ as a joyous thing. They've lost a soldier on their side. They've lost a compatriot who will fight alongside them in their rebellion. And so while we understand, though, that there is a paradox and that God has made peace for us, we still experience conflict in this world as it is in conflict with Christ. We know that does not make us their enemy. It makes us his ambassadors. It makes us his witnesses. So that as we bear that conflict, we do so with grace, we do so with kindness, and we share the gospel of Christ faithfully. Not controversially because of our own attitude. The gospel carries an offense. The gospel confronts the sinner with his sin. But unfortunately, all too often, it is the messenger that brings the extra offense. That should never be our way. God has called us to peace in 1 Corinthians, didn't he? 
But we are at odds with a world that seeks to continue in its rebellion. But Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Therefore, in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, so that's you this morning if you're a believer, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is you this morning if you have come to Christ. This has happened. All this is from God who through Christ did what? Reconciled us to himself. We could say made peace with us. He has brought us back to himself. And what has he called us then to do who have had peace with him now? He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is our calling. The work is not done. Yes, the Prince of Peace has come. But he has left his church a mission to bring to bear the gospel of Christ on a world around us so that others can experience the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of God that we have received. I ask, how is our ministry going? How is our gospel witness progressing? Have we dared to name the name of Christ and to speak to others about this peace that God has opened our eyes to? Have we prayed for our friends and relatives that we will all be seeing very, very soon? This is our ministry, reconciliation. Just as God reconciled us to himself, we then carry that message on. Perhaps we have been too caught up in condemning the world. And we need to spend more time in reaching them for Christ. But here we stand. There is still conflict. And what is the future state of this world? Will it always be this way? Must the world constantly and forever be in conflict? Man against man is the only hope, a small remnant of believers finding a semblance of peace in their own lives and in their fellowships? Or is there a greater peace that can and will be accomplished? I hope you know the answer this morning is yes, there is a peace to come. This is what Isaiah foreshadowed. Where is this kingdom where Christ is ruling in righteousness and justice all across the land? It is begun but it has not yet met its full fruition in all the world. But it will. At Christ's return, 
we will be delivered not only from the power of sin, but its very presence as well. And there will be no more simple truces, no more pieces while we rearm, but there will be true and lasting peace as everyone has had their hearts made right with God and as sin has been eradicated and dealt with. This is the future state. This is the full reigning of righteousness and justice across all the lands. And Christ will accomplish this when he returns. And while we wait for that, we pray and we bring the message of peace to a lost and rebellious world. There's a Christmas carol, Came Upon a Midnight Clear. Maybe familiar with that song, though I doubt we're as familiar with some of the other verses. Most of the time when we hear these songs, we get one or two verses. But it speaks very well, I think, to this challenge. One of the verses runs like this. Yet with the woes of sin and strife, the world has suffered long. Beneath the angel strain have rolled 2,000 years of wrong. And man, at war with man, hears not the love song which they, they bring. Oh, hush the noise, ye men of strife, and hear the angels sing. For lo, the days are hastening on by prophets seen of old. When with the ever-circling years comes round the age of gold, when peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors fling, and the whole world give back the song which now the angels sing. This is the hope of the believer as we toil in this world, and as we bring the gospel to bear on those around us, that ultimately and finally peace will be achieved as Christ rules and reigns forever. Peace cannot be achieved through human effort. No matter the external devices we remove, the problem doesn't lie in the systems around us, but in the hearts within us. And so, not to ruin the song, but Lenin's Imagine, I don't think holds the answer scripturally for peace. But another protest song might head a little nearer to the truth. It says, I've been happy lately thinking about the good things to come. I believe it could be. Something good has begun. I've been smiling lately, dreaming about the world as one, and I believe it could be someday it's going to come. Now come and join the living. It's not so far from you. It's getting nearer. Soon it will all be true. Fact is, Christ is ruling and reigning. He is the sovereign Lord, and he does offer peace If you are here this morning and we reflect on this, 
would you not have peace? Would you not have peace with God this morning? Lay down your arms, lay down your rebellion, and come to Christ, confessing your sins, forsaking your old life, and giving your life to him. And this is the promise of Scripture. He will hear, he will save, and he will make peace with you. And then all that we have discussed, the peace within, the peace with our neighbors, the peace in trial can all be there because we have peace with our Heavenly Father and we are reconciled. And Christian, are we peacemakers this morning or are we peace hoarders, keeping it to ourselves? I urge you to bring that peace to bear, bring the gospel to bear on those hard hearts. And I promise you the gospel is still powerful. The gospel still opens blind eyes no matter how hard-hearted that friend or that family member may be. The gospel still works. So take heart. As you toil in this world and you grow weary of its sinfulness, Look forward with hope to Christ's return and take comfort that he has blessed you even now in your daily walk and that he is coming again. And we will celebrate his reign in peace forever. I leave this last with us and I trust it can be our declaration and our commitment this morning. Psalm 37 Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I love this. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, He will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Let's pray. Father, we are so very grateful that you saw our destitute position. And you disarmed us, God, from our rebellion. You sent your son even while we were sinners. And you laid on him the iniquity of us all. And you made peace with us. Lord, we stand in awe and in gratitude for your mighty work of salvation in our hearts. Thank you, God, for what you have given us in Christ. 
this morning as we meet, if there is anyone here who has not yet given their life to you, who has not yet experienced the peace that comes with forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with you, I pray that you would use your word to break down those barriers, to open their eyes, and to show them their need for a Savior and save them, O God. I pray for the believer here who is maybe feeling frustrated at the world around them, maybe even frustrated in their own sin and their own failings. God, bring comfort to them. Speak peace to their hearts this morning. Let them know that they are accepted in the beloved and that their sins are forgiven. And if they confess them, they can find joy and peace. Help them to look forward with eager anticipation to your coming and the day of peace that we can enjoy a relationship around your throne forever and ever and never have to experience shame of sin or conflict. God, unite our hearts here as a church. May we have love for one another. And may that love be displayed for the world to see. Help us to be faithful in being peacemakers and in our ministry of reconciliation to which we're called. And God, may you be glorified in everything that we say and do each and every day. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.